morning again. Well, I'm supposed to tell you today that you can't steal home from home. According to Rule 6 of Major League Baseball, you cannot steal home from home, right? That's the spiritual lesson for today. Good news is, I'm going to give it to you in 22 minutes or less. Lord in heaven, we invite the present power of your Holy Spirit to come and enliven the words of your word so that it hits us in places that need to be at. We lay our spirit open, we lay our hearts open, we lay our lives open. There's nothing hidden from you to begin with, and so we just come as we are, and we want to leave different than when we came because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think you, you may be aware that we are presently in a series, late in a series, uh, called Armed and Dangerous. We're together, we've been looking at the life of Peter in the Bible and seeing how God transformed him from pretty much no one to one of the, perhaps the most influential person other than Jesus who ever walked the face of the earth. And there was an incredible transformation that occurred in Peter's walk with the Lord. And we're looking at that. Why? It's because we want in on that, right? I don't want to stay the same. I don't, I'm not like I used to be, but I'm not done yet. And so I want to look at his life, invite the Holy Spirit to come, so that we can dial into this and we can get caught up in this same transformative process. Today, we're going to go all the way up to Acts chapter 2. We've made our, our way here. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. And, um, you know, before I read it, I want to give you some sense of the bigger picture of what's happened here. We're in Acts, so we know that Jesus has already died and risen from the grave. That all happened in the Gospels, for those of you who are new. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that whole thing's in the Gospels. Now we're in the book of Acts, which is just past that. And so what we have going on here is Jesus has already risen from the dead. Hello? Yep, Jesus has risen from the dead. And uh, in Acts chapter 1, he actually has his last words with a couple of the disciples, and he ascends to heaven. He ascends to heaven. The Bible says he is at the right hand of the Father, doing what? Ever interceding for my sins. You want in on that? Ah, do you want in on that? He's ever interceding for my sins. You want some of that? I'm going to tell you how you get in on that. And so he's done that, and, and now in his departure, he fulfilled his promise in John where he said, it's good that I go away, because if I go away, the Father will send another. And so now, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the church. Crazy stuff happened. Tongues of fire started lighting on people's heads. People spoke in tongues. And it was a wild kind of a scene, so that the gathered crowd looked at them, and they said, these guys are drunk. I mean, it was so, must have been so joyful. I mean, I've never been to a drunk party. I'm just kind of imagining that people get pretty crazy, right? It looks wild. Saw one on TV once. And uh, the new man hasn't been to one, all right? <laughs> pretty crazy scene. So people looking on, and they said, those guys are drunk. Peter stands up. Now we're going to see Peter show up. He stands up and said, these guys are not drunk. I love it. He says, because it's only 9 in the morning. 
<laughs> Isn't that an interesting qualifier in the Bible? We don't, even we don't drink this early, he said, you know. He said, not drunk as you suppose, he said, but what you're seeing here is a fulfillment. And he goes back to the Old Testament of the prophet Joel, who said that in these days the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And he said, what you're seeing is the Holy Spirit being poured out on people. And then uh, he went on to explain why this happened, why it was time. And if you read that whole message of his, this whole presentation, you'll see that he said, well, that's because Jesus Christ came and he was Messiah and he died on the cross. He died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and now we can have life in his name. So he preaches this really good message and then that's when we're going to pick it up in verse 36, the last line of his message he says to the crowd, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then the next verse, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. That's where we come in. For all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now catch this, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a big day, huh? 3,000 people come to the Lord. But look what happens next, verse 42. They devoted themselves, so it's like then, 3,000 came, then, I have to kind of read that, then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's a great outing for Peter, isn't it? That's just a great outing. And as you look at that, uh, I just want to recommend to you two takeaways. The first takeaway is this. I'd like you to read it aloud with me. Let's read it enthusiastically. The primary purpose for being filled with the Holy Spirit is so that we can bear the truth of the gospel to the world in such a way that people will turn to God and be saved. Remember, this is all about being filled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what this is saying is that the primary purpose for God pouring out His Spirit on us is so that people will turn to God. They'll see that. They'll be impacted by that. And those who don't know God will turn to God and be saved. That's why we get the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the risen Jesus tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift my Father has promised. What was the gift? Holy Spirit, correct. And he said, and when, in verse, chapter 1, verse 8, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, what will happen? You'll be my witness. You will receive power. Thank you. You'll re- it says you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit coming is to empower us to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. That is the primary purpose, and the church is mixing it up. The church is making it about the gifts of the Spirit, and we're all arguing about what gifts are for today and what aren't. 
And in the meanwhile, we're not doing this. What about the gifts? You know, some of the manageable gifts like teaching and mercy and helps. But what about the unmanageable ones like tongues and interpretation and healing and miracles? Why are we... I believe every one of those is still valid for today as they were then. Why? What? What? Why are they given to us? So that we can have a hallelujah service every time we come together? So we can bear witness. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not given to you to make your spiritual sphincter tingle. Did you hear that? That's not why they're given to us. They're given to us so that we can be empowered to bear witness to the truth of the gospel so that people will turn and be saved. What about the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 23, say it with me. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're new here and you didn't know all those things, it'll come. Be patient. What about that? Let's talk about that. What's the first element of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. What did Jesus say about people knowing that we're his disciples? By this shall all men that you are my, know you are my disciples if you have judgment, criticism, separation. If you have love one for another. The reason the Holy Spirit lives in us is to bear fruit, the first of which is love. The core of evangelism, of bearing the gospel to others, is love. We got to love one another. We got to love those outside. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that we can bear witness to the truth of the gospel. People turn and be saved. First Peter three fifteen. Peter said that we should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us, right? Always be prepared to give a reason. So when somebody comes and goes, how come you like that? We go, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Got a minute? Why would people even ask us that question? Unless they saw something in us that prompted them to do that. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is this. You always got to do what's next, next. You always got to do what's next, next. If you look at verses 42 through 47, that great passage about how those young, new, first century believers were with each other, that was what was next. I mean, Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. That's power, right? That's armed and dangerous, right? You know where I think his power really was? This is what happened next. Not only did they call on him and say, Lord, what must we do to be saved? Peter, what must we do to be saved? But they changed. Their lives were changed because of Peter's preaching. That's where the real power comes in, is not getting people to check the card, yes, I want to go to heaven after this. The power comes when people are inspired and motivated by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to change, to live that kind of a life. And that's what's next. There are certain, certain realities in our life that are sequential, right? You've got to do this before you can do that, right? They're sequential. 
what happens after you come to Christ? What's next? Well, let's just think about that for a second, because I'm not sure every American believer understands that there is a next. I think there might be saying, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'll just keep going when it's convenient for me to sit in one of these burgundy chairs and just wait it out. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all, is it? It says we're invited into a transformation process where there's a next. There's always a next. Well, ask me what's first. Here's what's first. What's first is coming to know Jesus as your Savior. If you look at verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they said, What are we supposed to do now? What must I do? And what did he say? He said, come to Jesus. Confess your sins, repent, turn away from your sin, turn to God, come to Jesus. And remember last week, you can always come back, right? You always come back. And he says, so that's, that's what's first. That's kind of your at-bat, right? That's what, don't just stand there at the plate and do something, right? How do you get to first base? You repent. You repent and confess your sin to the Lord. Invite Him in. That's just first base, right? Don't stand there at the plate thinking about it for crying out loud. If you've got that what must I do thing going on, you're at the plate. You're at that. You are not on deck. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. They asked me, well, what's next? How, how do you get second, right? Well, let's look at verses 42 through 47. He says, then they devoted themselves. They came. They did that. 3,000 of them came, were baptized. Then they did some stuff. What'd they do? In our translation, that would be they devoted. Here's what you do next. You devote yourself to the Bible. It says that they devoted themselves. See, then, verse 42, right? Then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what did the apostles' teaching become? The New Testament, right? So they were devoted to the Word of God. What's next? Are you devoted to the Word of God? Does it get opened? Does it get studied? Does it get invited to do a work in your life between Sundays? The Bible. What else did they devote themselves to? To the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Devoted to each other. Devoted. There's a lot of love in this place. But we're not even close to being there yet. Devoted to each other. Devoted to the fellowship. This is what's next. It's right out of the Bible. I'm not making it up. What's, what's part of this? Worship. They devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. That was an ancient reference to worship because of the Lord's Supper. You'd be devoted to worship. This is part of what it just means to be a believer, right? So basic. Prayer, they devoted themselves, the apostles teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer. More than just the oh God, oh God prayer, you pray when you're going off the cliff. It's devoted to a life. A prayer, yeah? This is, what, this is how you go from first to second. Keep looking. Scandalous generosity. Oh, Americans hate this part. Oh, Americans hate this part. 
Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. You work hard for your stuff, right? You don't want people messing with it, right? Thank you. You can have stuff. Listen to me. Be faithful with the tithe. That's Bible. Be responsive to the offering. And then whatever you accumulate, hold it with a loose hand. If God tells you to sell it and give the money to someone, do it. If somebody says, hey, I need to borrow that, loan it. Don't even ask. You can have stuff. Faithful to the tithe. Responsive to offerings. Tithe isn't even negotiable. Responsive to offerings. And hold what you have with a loose hand. Don't consider it to be yours. Well, 9 o'clock didn't get that. I might go 24 minutes. Where were we? What's next? So we're still part of this big church. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That would have been a huge crowd. Big church. Believers today say, I don't really need to go to church. Not if you don't believe the Bible. Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as some of you in the habit of doing. (laughs) This is part of it. Big church. But also small church, too, because he said every day they continued to meet together in temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes together and ate with glad and sincere hearts. Part of small church. Part of face-to-face, heart-to-heart stuff. Some of you are in that here. Some of you are in small groups. You're in small group life. You have quality, accountability relations. Some of you are not. Those of you are not living dangerously. You want to know why? Because if you're not, you can get away with not doing the first five and no one will know. My small groups will know. So that's what's second base. Ask me what's next. Here's third base. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan already for you, Mike. So you're doing all this stuff, great. As you're doing this stuff, God has called you, hasn't he? And he said, do this, go here, do that. But it's as you're doing this. Some people try to run straight for second base, third base. They try to run straight past that. And they try to, they, God, would you lead me? I'm ready to do anything. And he says, all right, there's your first list. You do that, and then he'll be specific. You don't do that. It wouldn't matter if he was specific because you couldn't do the thing he's calling to you, you too if you didn't do that, right? I'm preaching substantially better than you are a many. What happens next? Okay, so you do that, and then you follow God's will for your life. What happens next? Ask me, what's next? You go home. You go to home. You can go to home from third. You'll hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That day's coming. It's not coming if you're standing at home thinking about it all. Because you can't steal home from home. Is it making sense now? There's a life to be lived. There are just certain 
essential realities of our life that are sequential. You know, there's, there are sequential things, activities, and there are parallel activities, right? Parallel activities, you go walk in a room and you can do any one of things, you have sort of options, right? Parallel. Sequential says you've got to start here and then go there. We love the buffet in America, do we not? Man, I love me some Golden Corral and the fried okra. Don't get in my way. I'm going right straight for the fried okra. And that's parallel, right? We love our buffets in America because there's nobody telling us what to do. Right? I mean, there is a little sequence. Turns out you're supposed to get a plate first. You can't just stand there at the okra and eat. But that's parallel reality. You can just go where you want and do what you want when you want. And we Americans love that. Guess what? That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we Americans hate that. Because it's sequential. Conditional computer code says something like this. If then. If this happened, then do this. Right? Get some nods from some computer geeks. <laughs> Millions of lines of code in a program that says, if this, then that, if this, then that. And when you're playing your little video games, if you do that, then it does that, right? Sequential. And same thing with baseball. You've got to start at home, and you can't steal home from home. Some of you baseball geeks do not quote rule 6.05 to me, which says that if a batter is standing at the bat, Two outs, third strike, third called strike, and the catcher drops the ball, he can try to make it a first. Yeah. That shows, if you knew that, it shows what a Pharisee you really are. (laughs) If you knew that, I had to goggle it in order to even be able to say it, right? I am very good at the ultrawebs. Are you really going to quote that rule? Because that's like saying, what about the thief on the cross? He didn't run the bases. Do you really want to be that guy? Do you really want to run that risk? All right. The big question is this. What must I do? And you've got to decide how the rest of the question goes. What must I do? To be saved? You have stirring inside of you that you are at the plate and you have never authentically come to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life? That Jesus' blood has not been applied to you yet? I got really good news for you. Today can be your day. Maybe, maybe you're, you're there. You said, I've done that. I'm on first. Then you always have the question, no matter what base you're on, saying, What's next, Lord? What's next? Maybe you need to commit yourself to those core realities of what the Bible says it even means to behave as a Christian. What's next? Maybe you've got all those discipleship dynamics going on in your life, and, you, and, and you've given God the opportunity to lead you. Say, so here's how I want to use you. Here's how I want to pour out your life for my glory. Well, then your, your question's the same, is it? What's next? And it never, ever stops being what's next. No matter how long we walk, 
no matter how old we become, the question is still the same. Lord, I've been faithful. What's next? Just show me what's next. I'll walk. But the question is the same for either of you. What must I do, right? What must you do to be saved? Come to Christ today. Do not play rule 6.05 and say, I'm going to be the thief on the cross guy. Do not run that risk. Come today. Let's invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come pray. Lord, I, I just am so privileged to be able to bear the truth of the gospel to these people. And I'm just so terrified at the same time, Lord. You and I both know who I am. and God, did I say everything that you wanted me to say? Did I say it in the way you wanted me to say it? Because I wouldn't want anybody to escape this present move without knowing they're right with you. Holy Spirit, come. Come.